Happy Tuesday, everyone. Happy Tuesday. Welcome back to the Clergy Suite. I'm Rabbi Dara Frimmer. I'm Rabbi Joel Nickerson. And we're here today to talk about Purim. Purim. It's a month away. That's right. So now is the time to start preparing. And by preparing, we mean both what costume will you and your children be wearing? Yes. And also, how are you thinking about the holiday this year? But can we pause for a second just on the costumes before we get into the good stuff? Yeah. I, by the way, I think the costumes is part of the good stuff. It so. is the good stuff. It is. But we're going to get into some like really good stuff. Here's the thing. Joel and I are both on Facebook. We see you at Halloween. We know the extravagant efforts you've put forward to have a matching thematic family outfit. Oh, yeah. And yet, on the Jewish version of Halloween, known as Purim, where we expect costumes, who comes dressed? Only the kids. Yeah. Why so, do you think that is? What's going on with that? Uh, it is an excellent question. We can survey our West Side Jews and find <laughs> out what happens to adults on Purim that only the kids come in wearing their amazing outfits and face paint, and adults show up. I think it's because, like most Jewish holidays, we've relegated them to just the kids, and people don't realize that as an adult, you can fully participate in these kid-friendly holidays in a way that's legitimate for you as an adult. You don't have to just be a kid in order to enjoy everything that comes with Passover and everything that comes with Purim and all the other fun holidays. That's a good point. That's a good point. And Whereas I think- Halloween like, has gotten to that point where there's enough out there that it it has the essence that this everyone can participate. We just haven't done a great job yet, I think, in the Jewish marketplace of making it very clear that everyone... Everyone needs a costume. Everyone needs a costume. That's yeah. right. Well, it reminds me a little bit of how parents with teenagers talk about why they can't send their kid after bar mitzvah because, quote, none of their friends are going. It may also be that there isn't a tipping point yet of adults who are all dressed up. And so you're That's a 40-year-old, some odd adult is going to feel silly if he or she is the only one dressed up. Yeah, all that insecurity, the Jewish insecurity that comes as a Jewish adult. If you're not fully aware of why you're doing this Jewish ritual, then you're going to be less likely to completely embrace it. Whereas in more traditional communities where people kind of have a little bit more of that Mm self-confidence, they're willing to go all in. Yeah. Yeah. So this, I think this conversation is part one of trying to give people the tools and a little bit of background on how they can delve in a little deeper. So and that go all in. Go all in so that you can feel comfortable wearing a costume, not just on <laughs> Halloween, but on Purim as well. Amen. All right. So let's figure out how we deepen this holiday. So when we typically think about Purim. And if I, we're going to even pause on the podcast, just like they do on the Daniel Tiger show, which, by the way, is the theme of our spiel this year, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Daniel Tiger. Uh, we would say, when you think about Purim, what words come to mind to describe it? What time of year is Purim? We're going to pause. All right, Joel, what's the first word that you think? It's like um, that um, game show. Uh, you know, we surveyed 100 Isaiahs and asked them, right. what, what are the top words to describe Purim? What's the top word? Oh, gosh. It's either going to be homentation or costumes. <laughs> I think All right, and I was going to say uh, drinking okay. <laughs> or uh, silliness, joy, sort of like – Carnivals. Carnival, too. exactly. Yeah. Carnival. Yeah. So, I so you know, check in at home to see if you're listening, what you would have said. Um, but I think that's right. I think a, a really important part of Purim, and in fact, it's legislated by the rabbis, is that when the month of Adar, in which Purim takes place, 
is said to begin, we have to increase our joy. So there are all these things we do to make sure we're increasing joy. Extra sugar in our cookies, uh, costumes, silliness, the drinking also obviously adds to a festive environment. I think the piece that we've often forgotten is that there's also a, a heavy part to Purim, and that is the nature of the story itself. Joel, in four sentences, I'm going to test you right now. In four oh, sentences, tell the story of Purim, but make sure one of the sentences about how we were almost all died. Go. <laughs> oh, there's one of my sentences right there. Okay. Um, wow. I'm being put on the spot. In four sentences, Jewish woman is brought into the kingdom. Um Jew has to reveal herself in order to save her people. What was the sentence you needed? I needed a sentence that said, they almost killed us. They almost killed us. The Jews celebrated and killed other people. <laughs> oh, my God. Because <laughs> that's the hidden part that we're going to reveal, right? That I is one of the hidden parts. All right. So good, good job, by the way, on your pop quiz. <laughs> Um, so most of the story that we tell our kids starts with, oh, there was Queen Esther and she was so lovely and she was selected by the king. She didn't tell her. She didn't tell the king that she was Jewish. Haman rises to Boo. power. Boo. Good. Haman. Um, it turns out Haman is a descendant of the, the worst enemy ever of the Israelite people, a man named Amalek. We're going to get to that. Haman is his descendant. He shows up in this generation, vows he's going to kill the Jews because Haman doesn't bow, or sorry, Mordechai doesn't bow down to Haman. And as a result, Esther is put in this position where she has to reveal her Jewishness in order to save her people. The part you added at the end is the part we, of course, do not tell young religious school students. And therefore, if you're not an adult who's attended an adult tech study recently, you would not know, is that at the very end of the story, the Jews are given permission to fight back, if needed, against the edict that said on the 14th day of Adar, all of the Persians can kill all of the Jews in the kingdom. And as a result, buried in the text, is that the Jews, in self-defense, went out and killed 75,000 people. Yep. Yep. But then we end on cookies and rejoicing and yep. happiness. Which I think goes back to the challenge of like all those adults who may be listening and be like, wow, I've never heard that story. This part of Purim, you're trying to ruin the holiday for me. Once again. Right. Once again, like all these other holidays like Hanukkah. But I don't think it's about ruining it. I think it's about trying to get to the complexity of these holidays. If we're going to really embrace them, we need to know that they're not just kids stories. Like mm -hmm. they are real challenging life issues that are being addressed with all these holidays. That's right. And that's the part of the story that can't come across in a family-friendly spiel, where in a half an hour we retell the story through some lens uh, that's familiar to people. Um, just because the king gave an edict that agreed with Haman that said all the Jews can be killed on the 14th day of Adar, it turns out at the very end of the story when he wants to save his queen, he says, but listen, I'm stuck in a bind. Legislatively, I can't revoke the edict. I can only give a new edict that says you can defend yourself. Right. And that's, again, sort of a crazy part of a story that we thought was going along at a clip of, and they all lived happily ever after. There's another twist at the end. And what do we do with Jewish stories that have that complexity? Oftentimes we tend to dilute them rather than offering them back to people and saying, in light of the fact that we almost died, in light of the fact that... Uh, Gosh, we had to defend ourselves with real power, and there was a real um, impact to that power. 
Now we are ordered to remember this holiday with feasting and with giving gifts to one another and with giving tzedakah and with listening to the fullness of the story. Um, Joel, did you know that the mitzvah of listening to Megillah is only fulfilled if you listen to every single word of the Megillah? Why? Why would that be the case? Well, that is interesting because oftentimes we don't have that same expectation for listening to Torah on a Saturday morning. If you're schmoozing in the back with Mr. Goldberg, fine, it is what it is. But in order to fulfill it, there's something about the story that our ancestors said every word is crucial. And I would argue maybe it's because some of these words sound absolutely ridiculous. A king who drinks for months on end and chooses queens at a beauty contest versus the verses that say... um, gosh, yeah, you are going to be slaughtered on the 14th day of Adar. How do you want to defend yourself? How do you want to tell that story? Yeah, and I think this is a good point just to remind people that we're not supposed to read the Book of Esther as a historic document, right? There are a lot of arguments to be made that it's purely just a piece of literature um, that's not supposed to be recalling what happened historically. So um, even even though it's not a historical document where we, we would imagine that would be the reason why we should listen to every single word so we know our history. Mm-hmm. I think it's yet another reminder, especially in the place where Purim's this time where you're kind of in havoc of wearing costumes and people are drinking and it's kind of crazy. In that moment, you are supposed to find a way to have some intentionality and focus. Like, despite the craziness of the world around you, you have to know how serious the story is because it's not just about levity. It really is also about Amalek and about the fact that, yet again, someone's trying to kill us. It just keeps happening. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you forget that, you end up on the chopping block. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a really important key piece of the story that we're supposed to be reminded of when we listen to every single word. We have the levity, but we also have the severity of the decree. That's great. That's great. And that does feel like the way that we live our lives today, that most of the time you could argue, especially in West LA, um, we live a very privileged life. We get our little West LA bubble. And it's hard when that suddenly that bubble of routines like going to work, going to school, going to Trader Joe's, doing yoga class, whatever it is that we do, is disrupted by stories of anti-Semitism or by a shooting at a local uh, West Side or, yeah, West Side um, uh, school. Uh, these, these moments of, um, wait, I thought my life looked really good. I thought, you know, our greatest uh, issue that we had to wrestle down today was our kids not doing homework. And now is our, is our way of life at stake. And that's the name of the holiday itself. Just to remind people that Purim means lots, meaning the lottery. Mm-hmm. Like poor is a casting a lot. And so it was just a random day that was chosen by which the Jews were supposed to go out and be slaughtered. Mm-hmm. So there is that randomness of our lives that in in this time of joy, we have to remember like something could happen at any moment. And it, we can't take that for granted. We have to be living in the moment. And the way to live in the moment is to really listen to every single word that's being said. That's right. And the other three major mitzvot. So you have to listen to the, uh, the entirety of the Megillah. Um, the second mitzvah is you have to have a festive meal because it says in the book of Esther, uh, in the scroll of Esther, uh, the way you will commemorate this day in future generations is you will have a festive meal. You will give gifts to friends, neighbors, uh, fellow community members. Um, and you will also make a tzedakah donation that is specific to Purim. And the text even goes as far, uh, later commentaries uh, go as far as to say um, that Purim tzedakah money cannot be used for any other thing outside of a Purim tzedakah donation. So if normally you could say, oh, I've got to give away 10% of my, my earnings a year to tzedakah, 
Purim has its own designation. And so the question I'd asked the group that I was studying with last week was, um, how and why do these three meets vote help us um, address the fact that we are living in uncertain times. Our ancestors lived also through great uncertainty, knowing that on any given day, the lot could be drawn and our day could go from joyous to fearful. Why would feasting, giving gifts to one another, and tzedakah be a way, similar to listening to the story, of helping us to live with strength and grounding uh, and a sense of capacity to get through these dark times? Yeah, what did did, did they have any good insights about that? <laughs> Always. Well, one, <laughs> even though drinking is a big piece of Purim, uh, and gosh, who doesn't love a good drink every once in a while? Um, this one, of course, is the, the highlight is people think drinking is the mitzvah. It's not. The feasting part, though, the eating a meal with friends would be to say, um, as one participant said, um, you thought you, you thought you could kill us. You thought that you could you know, do away with the Jews and an entire, you know, generation. Look where we are now. In spite of all of the threats uh, to our lives, we are still sitting down and we are having a great meal and we are celebrating our Jewishness and we are refusing to give up. And yeah. so just the nature of what it means to gather um, and eat and rejoice is sort of an indication of our um, ability to move through those dark times. And I think, I mean, we do that almost with literally every holiday is mm -hmm. that moment where we take a ritual eating of some object, some kind of food that tends to be specific to that holiday as a statement that we are we are truly like eating this moment. We are, we're not just <laughs> we're taking it in, in, in our, through our ears, but we're bringing it into the very essence of who we are to give us the energy to get through this holiday yeah. is to actually ingest it. That's right. Like it's such a brilliant way that our tradition has looked at ritual and said, you got to eat your values, <laughs> like truly eat what matters to you. Uh, and kashrut is one way of thinking about that. But like homantashin is yet another. We're yeah. trying to take the, the symbol of the holiday and put it into our bodies. And mm -hmm. you do it. You don't do it in isolation. Right. You sit around a table just with like community. at Shabbat and you do it with community. And that's what takes that's that's where you can actually, you know, live out the essence of that holiday. That's right. That's right. So the second mitzvah that I mentioned is giving gifts to one another. So this one's interesting because gifts, you could argue, like little Ziploc bags filled with like a clementine and a lollipop, as we, you know, tend to yeah. do for Mishloach Manot, um, or Shlachmanus, if you come from, you know, that, that background, as I did. Um, how is that supposed to help us? Um, but I think one of the suggestions that we came up with was um, part of being able to create you know, a sense of like self and other is when you don't know the person in your neighborhood, when you feel like you are isolated, you are alone, um, you only can fight for yourself. And the other must be, again, either the enemy or the other must be doing better than you are. Or the other must have what you don't have. Um, but in truth, connective opportunities where you can actually say to someone who is in your neighborhood, but you've never met them before, happy Purim could open up the opportunity to say, let's strengthen up those community bonds again. Let's remember that we are all in this together. And we sometimes need the way that um, if you walk a dog through your neighborhood, you tend to meet everyone. Yeah. You need like a, what is it, a tool, a prop. Yeah. <laughs> Cute kids do this too sometimes, right. you know. Um, maybe those gifts are an opportunity for us to get over the awkwardness and say, I know I've always seen you around. Happy Purim, what's your name again? Yep. Yeah, I think that's a great test for anyone who's listening to this. Think about just on your block, maybe even like the five or six houses around you. What if you were to put a little package together and just either knock on the door and actually meet them and just say, 
hey, I'm a Jew <laughs> lives in your neighborhood. <laughs> I got this holiday where I'm supposed to give you gifts. So let's, you know, I'm going to use that as an excuse to, to say hi to you uh, or even leave it at the front door with a little description as to why you're leaving something for them. But I think I think you're right. It's very easy to see Mishloch Manot as really just the opportunity to give to the friends we already have, mm-hmm. as opposed to what you're suggesting is let's look beyond the people who are already really close with. And how do we start to see this as an opportunity to bridge you know, the gap between us and the other, which I think is something that as a society we really need to work on a lot more because we're doing a lot more of othering uh, than we than we should be. That's right. And that's true in the Jewish community that just for as tight as we feel, there are people at Isaiah that we don't know who we feel like are the other. That is true for Reform, conservative, Orthodox Jews. And then you can just expand that to people who live in your neighborhood, people who live in Los Angeles, people who live in the United States. Um, We're all looking for ways, I think, to strengthen connections again, because without those connections, we are likely to be divided um, and create narratives about one another. Um, All right, so the last one is Sadaka. So before I tell you what the group said, what do you think about Sadaka, Joel? Um, How does it answer the question of, how do we live through darkness and uncertainty and times of um, instability? Um, how does the act of giving charity, giving money to those who are most in need, help us to make it through uh, a dark and unstable time? I think you just said it. I mean, really, I, by giving of yourself to something that goes beyond your, something that's not just gonna help you in the immediate, but is actually gonna help the world in some way, you actually gain a little bit more power in the world as opposed to just being a passive participant where the world comes to you and kind of flows over you. You actually empower yourself and whatever cause it is that you're giving to, uh, the opportunity to bring a little bit more justice, a little bit more love into this world so that we don't have to feel like we're just being washed away. That's right, that's right. Um, One of the things I've always loved about Judaism is that we are a religion that both believes in God and welcomes God's partnership and presence in our life, but we don't wait. Uh, we don't wait for God's miracles to free us. Sadaka is one of our most powerful tools to say, I'm going to create the world as I want it to be. And in this in this case, God isn't even mentioned in the book of Esther, right? <laughs> this, is, this is the holiday where... You're just going to throw all of the horrible pieces out, right? Also, there's no God in Purim. <laughs> well, but I think, I mean, if, if we can't rely on God language necessarily all the time in order to help guide us, we have to find God in the world around us. And this story is a reminder that... You can't just wait for someone to tell you what to do or God to come down and and give a command. You actually have to empower yourself to go out and make a difference Mm -hmm. and save yourself or save the Jewish people Mm -hmm. or save the world. On whatever level you want to see it, God is not always going to be so visible and in guiding you in the way that you thought God was supposed to. Um, So you have to find new avenues. That's great. So we... Probably we'll do at least one more porn podcast. Oh, for sure. It's too good a we story. We didn't even talk about Amalek and blotting out Amalek. Right. We didn't talk about costumes and masks and what that all represents. There's mm-hmm. so much more. There's so much more. The drinking, more. we didn't even talk about the drinking. Oh my gosh, so much. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. And as always, you can always email Joel or I or stop us in the hallway and say, for the next porn podcast, here's what I want you to talk about because I've always wondered. Um, we would love to respond to that as well. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to celebrate porn with us, there are Here two opportunities. Yeah, two opportunities. 
uh, what, March 16th? March 16th, beginning at 3 p.m., is our carnival. It's going to be held indoors again on our deck and throughout the building. At 5 p.m. is the Purim Spiel. It probably will only go from about 5 to 5.45 in the sanctuary. So if you are most interested in relearning the story of Purim through Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Daniel Tiger... And um, teens doing some really cool versions of pop songs, which somehow fits into Daniel it's gonna Tiger be amazing. and Mr. Rogers right? as well. So, yeah. But, so if you have a, a young kid that will recognize the characters of Daniel Tiger, this is appropriate for you. If you have an older kid who loves pop songs that I certainly don't know, but our team of people... <laughs> assured me these are the most popular pop songs on the radio <laughs> and uh, they've all been rewritten with Purim lyrics uh, our teenagers will be singing those and then we have food trucks and more games and a dance party also for our preschool population on Erev Purim March 20th 6 30 to 7 30 p.m one hour only come it's called Pajama Purim that's your version of costume people yeah. adults and kids should come in pajamas we're going to do a Megillah reading we're going to say boo to Haman, and we are going to cheer on Esther and Mordechai, uh, and we're going to give you a cookie before you go home. Awesome. Hope to see you there.